May this be in the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Please be seated. In the first line of today's collect, this prayer that begins, that tries to collect, if there is a thread or a theme of the day, the usual formula is to address God in a specific way according to an attribute or a facet of God's nature. And this is our sort of attempt to define the divine in terms of relationship because we are relational beings. And so today's colic, the first line says, Oh God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Chiefly in showing mercy and pity. God's almighty power is shown to us through the ways that God shows mercy and pity. God, this creator, this ruler of the universe, shows forth divine power by being merciful and by taking pity on us. Power for God is demonstrated in mercy and compassion. We can clearly see this on display in the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus as he cares for the poor, as he invites the outcast in, as he heals the lame and the blind and the deaf. And we heard about this good work of our God in today's psalm. This God who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them, this God gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry sets prisoners free, gives sight to the blind, and lifts up those who are bowed down. God cares for the stranger, sustains the orphan and widow. Truly, our God is a God of mercy and compassion. And so what? So what are we called to do? Well, we are called to transform our nature to be more and more like God's nature, to show the power of God's love to those all around us through our own acts of mercy and compassion. Over the last few weeks, gospel lessons, we have heard stories, parables, that have dealt with the connection between power and possessions, power and wealth or riches. And this invites us to hold a mirror up to ourselves to question what we value in our lives and to look and to hear and to reflect on what God values. Last week, we had a rather confusing parable, which I was happy not to be preaching about. This parable of the unjust steward, right? This guy who maybe has been doing some grafting or corruption, we're not quite sure. And then the boss finds out and he's fired, but he's got to set himself up and he does. As we consider justice and money and the value of money and the value of people. And then we heard the week before about the 99 sheep that were left and the shepherd went in search of the one. Just that one was valuable enough. I had the same value. And the shepherd sought it out and brought it back. And that picture you might imagine of Jesus with the little baby sheep here, the lamb. 
And today, ah, wait, also the lost coin. The woman who had lost one of her 10 coins and she turned the whole house upside down. She swept everything. She found it and she rejoiced and she invited all the neighbors and all her friends to come and celebrate and have a big party because what was lost has been found. And today we continue with this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, these two guys couldn't be any further apart. Lazarus has the finest of clothes with the most expensive dye, this royal color purple, their linen clothes. And not just every once in a while, but every day he sumptuously feasts and he lives in a gated mansion. Literally, on the other side of the gate is Lazarus. I imagine him lying in the dust in rags. We hear that he's covered with sores, and even the dogs come in to lick his wounds. Ugh. They couldn't be any different. We have feasting, and we have a beggar who's longing just for the crumbs, just the leftovers of the feast. And then they both die. And the rich man, he dies and he's buried. He probably had a very fancy funeral. Lazarus, when he dies, the angels come. The angels come to carry him home. And he's taken up into heaven and he's with this great patriarch, this figure of the Jewish faith and of our Christian faith, Abraham, Father Abraham. And they're walking together in paradise. The rich man, he loses everything. His wealth and his possessions, his power, his privilege, they're gone. And we hear that he's tormented in Hades. With all of his success in the world and society, gone, doing him no good. And it seems too that Lazarus was known to this rich man. In the story, remember he calls him by name. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus just to dip his finger in water and quench my thirst on my tongue, just a drop. So that I imagine that he saw Lazarus, maybe on his comings and goings, maybe he stepped over or around Lazarus, went to the other side, or perhaps peered out from behind his fence, his gate, Oh, there's Lazarus again, laying out there, begging. He saw him, but he did not see him. He failed to recognize him as a human. He failed to see his worth, his dignity as a human being created in the loving image and likeness of God. In overlooking Lazarus, the rich man fails to do anything to improve Lazarus's life or to improve his life, or for that matter, the life of the larger community around him. Now, this is a cautionary tale for us, for all of us, and this cautionary tale emphasizes this nature of God, this compassionate and merciful nature of God, and that nature is within us too for we are created in God's image. 
And so it's something that we have to work for. We have to strive to take this nature on ourselves, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus of Nazareth. We are to demonstrate our power, to take our wealth, our privilege, what we have, and to share it through our own acts of mercy and compassion toward everyone that we encounter. I return again and again to the words of our baptismal covenant. When we are baptized, we are asked these questions, how will we live out this good news? Our baptismal covenant calls us to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbors as ourselves. It calls us to strive for justice and peace among all people and to respect the dignity of every human being. This is what matters for God. This is what must matter for us, what we must strive together to attain, to show and to share God's mercy and compassion in our world. This merciful power of God that's meant for building up, for leveling out, and for healing so that everyone may flourish. The priority for God, the idea of power for God is not to be clung onto, to be lorded over, but to be seated, to be shared, to empower others for the betterment of all. Witness the incarnation and the crucifixion of God in Jesus. God humbled. God stooped down to take on our human form and allowed for an unjust death on a cross. God gave up all power to give the power of resurrection to all and for all, so that through Jesus, all may be invited into a life of mercy, compassion, and love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our God is a God of mercy and compassion. And we're called to see and to care and to share, to share our power and our wealth with those who have not. And this is for God's plan. This is for the betterment of us all. We heard in the epistle today, we're to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. And in doing this, we emulate our lovingly merciful and compassionate God. Siblings in Christ, today and as we go forward, may we show our power through our acts of mercy and compassion and may we reflect this power of God as we work together to accomplish God's dream, the dream of inclusion, the dream of care, the dream of love for this earth, this day, here and now. Amen.